I want to ask you something that I want you to think about real quick. What is the craziest excuse you've ever given? What's the most ridiculous excuse? And you knew it was ridiculous. Maybe it's to parents, maybe it's to a teacher, maybe it's to whatever. The craziest excuse that you gave for something. All right, so maybe, maybe it was one like this. So throw that out and we like, oh, my sister's friends, mother's grandpa's brothers, grandsons, uncle's fish, dad died. And so I wasn't able to. Or when it comes to schoolwork, maybe we're like, hey, teacher, sorry, I wasn't able to do it because I was at a rally supporting you getting paid more than what you get paid right now. Try that with your teacher next time and see, see how that works out for you. Or maybe it, when it comes to the gym, maybe some of you guys or like, I should work out, but I don't really know if I want to work out, but maybe I should. But then, you know, Fat Amy, which I feel bad calling her that, but that's, that's her name, is Fat Amy. So maybe that's an excuse that we give for going to the gym. Maybe when someone hurts us, right, and we, we put on our whole Willy Wonka, like, I'm going to condescendingly look at you right now and can't wait to hear your excuse for what you did, why you just said the thing that you did and go back on your word. Or whatever. So I don't know what that looks like, but we've used some crazy excuses for the reasons why we do certain things. And so over the next few minutes, this next character in the Bible that we're looking at used some crazy, not so much crazy excuses. In reality, I think they're probably excuses that you and I would use when it when he understood the things that God wanted to use him to accomplish, and some of the pushback that he gave to that. So we have been, if you're just jumping in, we have last week looked at the life of Joseph and how up to this point, what has happened where we ended last week is God made this promise to Abraham and then down to Isaac and then down to his son, Jacob, who we renamed Israel, which is his chosen people that he's going to bless them and give a multitude that outnumbers a grain of sand. And so then Jacob's son, Joseph, is treated harshly by his brothers, taken captivity, enslaved in Egypt. But because of his faithfulness and trust in God and God's faithfulness to him, he actually rose to power in Egypt, just underneath Pharaoh, and was put in charge during a time of famine across the entire land. And so as part of that, Joseph forgave his brothers who had betrayed him years earlier and then brought his brothers and his father Jacob to Egypt and there were about 70 people in all of, of this family that God is now bringing his chosen people, gathering to, them together so that ultimately what he wants to do is pave the way for Jesus to come and offer hope and freedom and forgiveness to the world, which we just sang about. And so that's where we ended the story last week. And so now we've completed the book of Genesis all right, pat yourselves on the back. We've just covered the entire first book of the Bible. Don't you feel good about yourselves? So even though we haven't gone through every story, we are now understanding God's plan. And even though it has been wrecked because of sin and sin has caused a lot of damage and destruction, that God has a plan in place and God is writing a story and God is doing an amazing thing. And so what ends up happening from there is Joseph and Jacob and that family is now living in Egypt. And so over the next 200 years, they're living in the land of Egypt. They're given their own land, their own part of, of the land in Egypt. And God begins to bless them in number. And so they're fruitful and multiply and they multiply a ton and God's blessing them. And to the extent that they have now outnumbered the Egyptian people, 
That's how powerful they've become. And so it starts to make Egypt a little bit nervous. Because now there's, you know, Pharaoh who had that promise with, with Joseph and knew him and knew what Joseph had done for them. Now there's a new Pharaoh that rose to power and he forgot all about that. And all he's looking at is there's this other people group called Israel that lives with us. And they have the numbers if they wanted to, to overpower us and take over our land. So he comes up with this crazy story that he communicates to the people. Let's take these Israelite people and make them our slaves. And so that's what they do. They take these Israelite people captive and they make them their slaves and they start becoming very harsh with them. And they rule over them and dominate them and they make them build their cities and their you know, different structures and things like that. And who knows if some of the pyramids were a part of that or whatever, but they start building all kinds of stuff, all these different structures and building cities and expanding. And they're using the Israelite people to make it happen. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do they take them captive and are harsh slave drivers to the Israelite people, but Pharaoh also gives this command to the Egyptian people. And he says, Whenever an Israelite baby boy is born, we want you to kill him so that then, therefore, as part of his plan, Israel can't overpower us. Because if all of the men are not there, then we can make the women do whatever we want to do and they can, you know, we can enslave them or whatever, but they will never rise to power to overtake us. So that's the, the plan that Pharaoh has. And so they start to try to roll this plan out. And they take Israel captive and they're doing all these crazy things. But God, as crazy as it sounds that they would be enslaved, God still blesses them in number. And they they continue to multiply. And not all of the, the men are killed. And so as part of this time, there is an Israelite baby boy who is born. And so his parents, to try to protect him from being taken and killed by the Egyptian people... His mom takes a, when he's about three months old, takes this basket and puts the baby down in it and closes it up and then walks it over to the Nile River and puts it at the edge of the river to hide the baby. And so one day, Pharaoh's daughter comes out of the palace and she's hanging out by the river and she looks over and they see this basket. And so she has her her people come bring it over and she opens the basket up and there's this baby boy. And she realizes that it's an Israelite baby boy But she has compassion on the child. And so rather than killing the baby, she adopts the baby boy as her own. And they name the baby boy Moses. They named the baby boy Moses. Some of you said Jesus. (laughs) That was not right. They named the baby boy Moses. All right. So now you have this Israelite boy who is being raised in, in Pharaoh's palace. And they understand, and it's kind of a weird thing because they know that he's an Israelite, but because Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, they they actually don't kill him off. And as he grows up, he is taught the Israelite culture and the Egyptian culture. And so he understands that the, the Israelite people are his people, but he also has the Egyptian culture as well. And so he grows up in Pharaoh's palace. And so he grows up to be an adult. And as he does that, One day he's walking around the land and he starts exploring and he sees the way that his people, Israel, are being treated by the Egyptians. And one day he looks over and this Egyptian man is beating up this Israelite uh, slave. 
And so he gets angry and in a fit of rage, he comes over there and he kills this Egyptian man. And then he buries his body to try to hide it. But news travels back to Pharaoh and Pharaoh finds out that Moses killed an Egyptian and he's furious. And so he tries to find Moses because he wants to have him killed. And so Moses leaves Egypt and he flees for his life and he runs out into the desert, into the wilderness. Meanwhile, the Israelite people continue to suffer in slavery day in and day out to the Egyptians. And so that's where we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 2. And in starting in verse 23, as they are going through kind of this process of just day in and day out, they are being brutalized and enslaved by, by Egypt. Here's what it says in verse 23. It said, years passed and the king of Egypt, another Pharaoh died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Now, I don't know how you read these couple of verses, But when we read it, like there's just a lot of cool things to pull out of that. But one of the things that strikes me initially is when you first read it, it almost sounds like God forgot. Right? God remembered suddenly because their prayers rose up to God and God was like, oh yeah, I've got this people group named Israel and I forgot about them. And oh look, they're enslaved in Egypt. And it appears when you read this that God forgot, but God didn't forget. God was fully aware of the suffering that his people were enduring day in and day out. And the tie-in may be that you may see your suffering. And maybe based on your perspective and how you read a certain situation, you may feel like, God, you've forgotten about me. God, why won't you bring an end to this? But God has not forgotten you just like he didn't forget Israel. He heard their cries all along. He had a plan in place. And I love how that verse ends, that God knew it was time to act. God's about to take action. And not like in a kind of simple way or whatever, but God's about to show off his power in a major way to free his people from their suffering. And there's an unsuspecting hero that's about to be at the very front of it who has no idea what is in store for him. So in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is wandering in the desert, right? And here's what it says. If you want to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, here's what it says. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now hang on for just one minute. I don't know how you picture that moment right there. Maybe if you are older like me or you, your parents showed you this movie. Anybody seen the Ten Commandments? Like old school Charlton Heston. Anybody. Any teenagers have ever seen that movie? Like four of you. All right, so maybe 
This is the picture. So your assignment, if I can give that, I'm not a teacher, so that's weird. But go watch this movie. Find it on Netflix or Apple TV or whatever. So this is the scene. Maybe if you've seen this movie, you picture that, right? There's Moses from like the 1950s movie. And he sees that's like amazing cinematography or whatever visual effects where they have this, this bush that's on fire, but it's not really. All right, maybe you picture that. Or the other thing that immediately popped into my head, maybe it's, it's still old, but a little bit less old, is the Prince of Egypt cartoon. Anybody seen that? Man, for real? What do you guys watch? So you need to go watch this. This is Disney's depiction of what happened here and the story of Moses, all right? The Prince of Egypt. And so this is kind of that scene in that movie where the bush is on fire and he's like, what's going on? And he comes in close to take a closer look. So here's what I want us to get out of this moment before we move on. God revealed himself to Moses from a distance. And it was close enough that it grabbed Moses' attention. But it was look. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think God does that for us sometimes as well. That God may show up in moments and it may have been like in a service like this at Reckless One Night or it may be at Rush or there may be these moments where we look around us and we're like, man, there's something that's going on here and I'm not sure exactly what it is. Maybe God's at work. Maybe it's just, you know, what I had for lunch. I don't know what's going on, but something's happening. And maybe we get a quick glimpse of something that sparks our attention. And we've got a choice to make. Either we ignore it and go, man, that was kind of a cool experience. Or we move in closer to see what God may have in store for us. Awesome. And he had a great story to tell later that night. Hey guys, today I was out in the wilderness and I saw this bush and and it didn't burn up. Cool story. But had it stopped there where he didn't move in for a closer look, he would have missed out on one of the most incredible things that God would have used his life to accomplish. And so what it says is Moses is like, I got to take a closer look. I got to move in closer. And so verse four, it says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites and Hittites and blah, 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 bunch of ites live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel have reached me and I now see how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now stop there for a minute. Up to that point, I love how this pictures and shows God as the rescuer. Like we see the heart of God in these verses, that God's coming to the rescue that God sees what's going on, that God sees those moments of suffering, that God cares, that God is compassionate, that God's not distant and go, oh man, fend for yourself. That, that really is terrible for you. But rather God is always the rescuer and God is stepping in and we see the heart that God has for his people. And so up until this point, Moses is like, 
All right, cool. Let's do this. I love this. Man, you're going to come and set my people free. That's amazing, God. I, like I've, I've seen them suffer and I don't like it. And I've, you know, last thing I did when I was there, I, I, I killed some other guy because I was so angry at what was happening. So he saw what was going on. He knew that his people needed help. And so he's down with the plan. Let's do this, man. How's this going to go? Let's go. Let's go right now. I can't wait to see, God, how you're going to rescue my people and our people. But then it changes with that next verse. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And then Moses is not so happy with the plan. Wait, say what, God? You're going to do what? Hey, I'm down with the plan. I love the plan. Plan is great. But man, that last part of the plan, like, let's just cut that part out. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, man, that's a crazy plan and I like it, but not if I'm involved in this. And so over the next chapter, there becomes this, not argument, but dialogue back and forth where Moses just starts rolling out the excuses. And maybe they're ridiculous, but I think as we look in a little bit closer, there's some of the same excuses that we may use at times with God as well. So Moses starts out and he goes, who am I? I'm just some guy out in the wilderness, in the desert. I'm nobody special. I'm nobody important. And God doesn't go, yeah, you are. You're really special. You have what it takes. You're amazing. You, were, you grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He doesn't say that. God's response to him is, I will be with you. Okay, that excuse didn't work. All right, so let's do another one. Hey, God, who are you? Like, who am I going to tell the people sent me? And God just says, I am. God doesn't even need an introduction. God doesn't even need a phrase to describe who he is. God can just, God just simply is. How amazing is that? Like, how arrogant would that be if you walked up to somebody and you're like, hey, what's your name? I am. And they're like, Who's a crap are you, right? But with God, it's not arrogant. Like it's true. He's like, this story is about me and I wrote it and this is for me and nothing exists except because of me. So I am. That's who you're supposed to say sent you. And so then uh, Moses is like, okay, well, so are people going to believe that? Hey guys, I saw this, this bush that was on fire and it didn't burn up. And this voice spoke to me and said that I am. And so let my people free. Right? How are they going to believe that? Who, they're, they're not going to believe that I say that, that you sent me. And God says, I will perform miracles to help them believe. I will do amazing things. I will show off my power. I will put my power on display to back up what you're saying to the people. And so then Moses starts thinking about his own limitations. All right, God, hold up. Like, I don't, you, you want me to say stuff. Like, I, I can't, I don't, I'm not good with words. I can't say things. I have a this stuttering problem. I, I don't really know what to say or how to say it. Like, I don't have good words when I'm talking to people. I can't do this. And then I love what God says in response to him in Exodus 4.11. He says, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. 
So God just one by one is like shooting down all these excuses, right? Yeah, that's lame. That's lame. That's lame. That's lame. Just do it, right? And finally, Moses gets to the point where he's like, God, just please. I'm out of excuses. I don't know what else to say. Just I'm begging you, please choose somebody else. I don't have what it takes. You won't listen to me. So please, my answer is no, I don't want to do this. And it actually says that God gets mad at him. Like God's patient up to a certain point and he's like, you know what? I'm tired of your excuses. I'm tired of your whining and complaining. I'm about to do something amazing through you. So stop rolling out the excuses and just do it. And so God says, fine, you know what? Take your brother uh, Aaron and you guys go together and I'll speak through you. And so out of excuses with nothing else to say, Moses has lost the argument and he gives into what God tells him to do. Now, I think there's a lot of application in just up to this part of the story. I wonder how much you and I are like that. And how much are we on board with the things that we want God to do? And God, I want you to bless people in Nicaragua. God, I want you to do amazing things in Boston with that team. Man, God, I want you to reach my friends for Jesus. God, I want to see you do an amazing work on my school campus. God, my family really needs you right now. So I want to see you do an amazing work in them. And then God says, yeah, and you're going to be a part of it. And we go, wait, hold up. God, I can't go to Nicaragua. God, I can't go to Boston. God, I don't know what to say to my friends. God, I don't know how to interact with my parents, much less tell them about you. 